Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy RPG Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am playing the 5e adventure Scarlet Citadel by Kobold Press. We're a bunch of sessions in. I don't know how far in we are, 16 or 17 sessions in at this point. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to get access to the monthly Q a the Sly Flourish Patreon Discord server, and access to all kinds of exclusive adventures, the City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Seekers Volume 1 and 2, a whole bunch of different stuff. You can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. There is a link down in the show notes below. One of the things we've changed in the Sly Flourish Patreon is there is now a new hero tier. If you want to give a little bit more, if you feel like the support that you're that you're getting, the things that you're getting from me are, are worth it, there is now a new $4 a month hero tier that you can join. The hero tier gets everything that the veteran tier, the new, the new name for the $2 tier is the veteran tier, and the hero tier gets everything the veterans do, they also get a special color in the Discord server. So we can identify, oh, those are the heroes. So if you want to give a little bit more, if you want to give for the higher value of what you're getting in the Patreon, you can become a hero of Sly Flourish down in the Patreon. So we did not have a game last week. We had few. We have a couple of players who have been out for a while, and we have one one person who's out of the country, and they are they're they're out. And then last week we had I think five of the six people couldn't make it. This week we have three of the six can't make it, but I'm still going to go anyway. So if all three players show up, we are definitely going to keep playing. But that's going to be a different kind of game playing for only three players. I actually like games like this when it's like three or four players you get a lot more done everybody gets a lot more screen time and it's still enough people that there's still a good synergy between your players i really enjoy that one thing as a as a gm though that you really have to keep in mind is that the the, the mechanical synergy of three or four players for three or four characters is very different from six characters for example if i have all six i could throw tons of monsters at them there's only three. It, it not only it, the, the power doesn't drop linearly, it drops quadratically because you have things like if if three of your if three players are down, three characters are down in an, of six, you have plenty of opportunities to cut those characters back up again. If three players are down in a three character game, three characters are down. If three characters are down in a three character game, they're all down and now you've had a TPK. So the 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 time to TPK is a lot faster with three characters than six characters. And there's also things like who can heal. There's fewer healers. There's fewer opportunities to heal. The action economy is very different for three characters. So you need to be aware of that and really keep an eye on, like if you're throwing more monsters than characters, making sure that that doesn't get overwhelming fast. It, it changes things. And the lazy encounter benchmark is a linear drop, not a quadratic drop, which means it's not necessarily taking action, action economy into, into account, which is something that you really be, want to be careful of. But we're going to go with it anyway. So we're going to start by generating a new session planning template. Today's date is 5 March 23, Scarlet. So the last session, it was a it was a doozy. In fact, let, let's let's bring up the Owlbear Rodeo map and see where things are. Look at all the things on that map. Big map. Big map, lots going on. So the characters had parlayed with the Trollkin. And the head of the Trollkin, Brynjar, Birinyar, the head of the Trollkin, said, I'm hearing a I'm hearing a a, a crown there's a crown out there in the eastern tunnels that has been calling out to me 
but I've been kind of busy here handling my own things. If you want free access to this whole level, why don't you go over to one of the dwarven tombs over on that side and go fetch me this crown? Because I think it's it's I think it's calling to me, and I think it's something special. The crown is a crown of Loki, by the way. It's a it's Loki. It's got a little hint, a hint, a little whisper of Loki going on in this. And I think it'll be fun if the crown is put on him, and it's probably like a circlet of intellect that also possesses you with a little bit of Loki. I think that that would be that would be fun. And so maybe the characters take it. I don't know. And maybe, maybe they give it to him and he suddenly gets a lot more intelligent and also is now kind of possessed by Loki. I think that that could be fun. But the character's like, well, let's explore a little bit more. They had gone to Valoon's shrine up to the north. They fought a couple of constructs that appeared there. And one thing is like the one player who's out, her character is the frontline character, apparently, because when she wasn't there, everybody else ran. And they ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. And it was so funny to see like five characters sprinting around like race cars while they're getting chased by these constructs that were pretty defeatable. They weren't, they weren't overly, they weren't, they weren't too difficult. Then they found the hammer. And I'll tell you, it was a little bit of work to get them to remember that the hammer that they found here is the exact same as the hammer, whoops, I just moved the label, as the hammer that opened this door here in the dungeon. But they did eventually remember. They went over, they touched it, they heard the gears moving, the door opened, they went inside, and they're kind of lurking around in here. And when they got in here, they closed the door on the other side using the hammer. So they're like, great, we're in a safe spot. Why don't we put up a, why don't we put up a Lehman's tiny hut and take a long rest? And I wanted to make it clear, and I will do so both with an example and then eventually by just telling them that Lehman's tiny hut in the middle of a dungeon is still a bad idea. Are you safe for eight hours? Yes. Are you safe at eight hours and five minutes? Certainly not. And what happened is they dropped their tiny hut right here. I, it, it's unfortunate I can't roll the map back. But they, let's see, I can probably, yeah. When they woke up, so, so while the hut was going, a mist, they could see out of the hut and they could see a mist flowing in. And this black mist, black smoke. I'm like, well, that's no good, but I'm not leaving the hut, right? And then all of a sudden, the mist like surrounded the hut and made it completely opaque. So they couldn't see what was on the outside. And then as the hut got lower and lower in its time, they saw like blue eyes peering out of the lots of sets of blue eyes. And they're like, uh-oh. And then the hut dropped and the mist went away and they were surrounded by like eight whites, Right, eight tomb whites. And these are the whites from the Monstrous Menagerie. These are these are brutal whites. The Monstrous Menagerie whites are are pretty pretty tough. Let's take a look at one. Go to A5E tools. Go to monsters. The whites from A5E are still CR3, but they have a couple things. They have a cold aura that when you wound them or hit when you hit them with an attack or grapple with them, you take three cold damage, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're hitting them a lot. Like if you hit him three times, you take nine damage. That's a lot of damage you just took that wasn't even on your turn. So that was dangerous. They do six damage plus three on a longsword attack. I was also giving them, giving, oh, and they have the life drain as a bonus action. So they can slash you with a longsword and then grab you with a life drain. And that's, that's a very effective white. This is, this, this white really held its own. I just ran with this one straight. I didn't make any modifications. And they had eight of them that they were fighting at level five. Right, so again, what's the if we do our little benchmark? I think there were six players, six characters. So six times five is thirty. Half of half of thirty is fifteen. So they could face face five whites, and I threw eight at them. So it was in the red, right? The encounter was in the red. 
But they cast the same guy that cast Lehman's Tiny Hut also cast Hypnotic Pattern and managed to get four of the eight whites dazed up in a hypnotic pattern. They had to fight the other four. So they fought the other four whites. They managed to get them down, but they took a lot of damage. And then in the middle of that, this, I forget what's called the ring, the ring something, a ring servant. And the ring servant was a really nasty, really nasty monster. Great big monster. And so I had it come out when they were taking care of the other, I wanted to kind of stay, I really like to sort of scale up battles, have two different monsters that show up at different times. And when they had already kind of hypnotic pattern a bunch of them and they're taking care of it right about the time where they're about to take care of the other whites, then the ring guardian shows up and he just starts beating the hell out of them. So they beat down the ring guardian and immediately they're like, holy cow, we just took a long rest. And now we're, now we're facing a ring guardian too. But they defeated the ring, the ring guardian. They also managed to go into this little chamber on the right where Bard and Skrink are and discovered that there's a whole slew of magic items in there. So yeah, did they face like two deadly encounters back to back right after a long rest? They did. Did they also get a big pile of magic items? They did. So the, today's strong start is going to be the big pile of magic items. Three of the six characters are overtaken by white sickness. Last time we had done one of these, we already identified a bunch of magic items. So we're gonna look at our old session notes. Was it this far back? Yeah. I think these magic items that I'm looking at here are from a whole section below that. So I think we've got other magic items that we're going to change. So let's, we'll keep these on hand, but I think that there were other magic items in the book and we were, we were pondering those. So let's look at that because there was a whole bunch of things. One of the rings could be a ring of evasion, it looks like. So we could put that on our treasure. Let's go to our notes and we'll go to our treasure list. And the ring servants, that might be a... That might be an item that they can pick up. I don't know how many of these items we're going we're gonna to pick up, but they had a whole bunch. Here it is. It was all of these things. So there's a, a, the light hammer of throwing. And I think, yeah, that was one for that we got from the other one. Thor's hammer, light hammer of throwing, plus 1d6. So we're going to move that in there. That was pretty good. We had these, the gauntlets of ogre power. I think these were all things that we were thinking of putting in the other vault so maybe we're, we're going to move them we might move them from the other from the other group i think we probably want to drop some big a big treasure hoard in here so we're going to go to a tier two treasure hoard because they're tier two now right and we'll randomize that and we'll see what we get and we'll we'll ignore the magic ones but we'll drop this stuff in here so lots of gold and things right they fought a good fight. Yeah, look at that. 693 copper pieces. And then a bunch of necklaces and stuff. So that's that's all good treasure. What else did the thing have here? Light hammer throwing. Spell scroll of protection from evil and good. We can do that. Whoops. And Gerdard's bargain. That's in the back. We'll check that out. The communal flute and the black and white daggers. And Hildar's war pick. These are all in the appendix. So let's take a look at the appendix and take a look at these items. Communal flute can be used to, by a bard. I don't think we have a bard. And bard can use the flute to cast speak with dead without using a spell slot. The bard must the bard must complete the long a long rest before using the flute to speak speak with dead again. The fact that it has to be played by a bard, and I don't think we've got. We, let's look at our character. We should have looked at our characters right away, but I don't think we've got a bard. We have no. Oh no, we do. Bart is a bard. So sure. And in fact, what if it's sort of a mechanical flute? That would be kind of fun. So yeah, we will do the communal flute, right? That's fun. Perfect. 
the black and white daggers, match daggers, stones, plus one versus monstrosities, plus one versus undead, match daggers identically except stones, one pommel. If one, if both daggers hit the same monstrosity or undead creature in a single turn, that creature takes an additional d6 piercing from the second attack, as well as being plus one versus monstrosities and plus one versus undead. Pretty cool. I don't know that we, you know, they feel very roguelike, but I like those. And then there was a war pick, Hildar's war pick. Enchanted with an epitome of dwarven weaponsmith, ornately adorned, blah, blah, blah. Creature is attuned, recovers the maximum number of hit points from the first hit die they expend during each short rest. After that, a dwarf can reroll hit dice that result in natural ones and twos. A creature that isn't a dwarf doesn't get the second benefit and won't even be aware unless they cast identify. The fact that it is tied to a dwarf and we have no dwarfs is kind of lame. So I think we'll do Hildar's war pick, uh, which is interesting because it's like you have to attune to it. It is a weapon. It's kind of a lame weapon, but it's really good for healing. I don't know. Doesn't seem great. So there's a lot of magic items. We're going to move Thor's hammer and the gauntlets of ogre power and the helm of Loki. Those are going to be treasure that they get later on in this, but they can get this stuff now. And then we're going to throw a bunch of gold at them. So I think, I think that will be, that will be pretty good. So we started with treasure because that's kind of the first thing they're going to find. And that's their, the strong start. So finding the treasure, pondering, safe place to rest, traveling into the cackling, the cackling chasm, recover, recovering the crown of Loki, and then travel to level four, right? So we got our scenes. Uh, let's take a look at our characters. So we, I think we only have three today, and I think the three are Dorn Gray Castle, Sistel Malarkey Jones, and Skrink Skibbers. Mez, I believe, is out. Bart, I believe, is out. And Garble is out. So, oh, it's the Clacking Caverns, not Cackling Caverns. Yeah, you're right, because there's things that clack in there. So, yeah, so those are the three characters. Dorn Gray Castle... Shade fighter, sorcerer, a former adventurer, inhabiting the body of a man named Potter. Potter's body is not in very good state while he, while he gets beat up by things. And it drives Mez bananas because Mez is trying to get Potter's body back to, you know, back to a healthy, or back to the dead, like trying to, trying to pass, pass him along to the afterlife. Sister Malarkey Jones is a warlock and cleric of the Weird Weaver and is on this mission to try to restore the chaos, the natural chaos of the, of the, and the universe by freeing the weird weaver from the bonds that are being conducted down here in the Scarlet Citadel. Skrink Skibbers was sacrificed to a cult in Zobek and then returned by the weird weaver on the quest to go recover. So all of them have this drive to kind of get the weird weaver back in place. Well, Dorn doesn't. Dorn's drive is to find a way to find his way back to the afterlife to back where he came from but can't do so unless all of these are restored. So those are our characters for, the for today. And one of the things to consider when I'm running with fewer characters is they're probably going to get more things done. So I sort of have to be ready for them to, to, to make some significant, some significant headway. And which I think means they can probably cover all of the clacking chasm in this, in this session. So I'm going to steal some secrets and clues from the last game. Uh, I swear I must have lost a set of show. I must have lost a set of notes because I know I had secrets from the previous game. The notes from February 19th are the last notes that I've got. Are there any secrets and clues from here that I can that I can take? The dwarves built numerous tombs and vaults in these lower chambers to protect them with traps, puzzles, and constructs. We we learned that. 
The strange twisting of the Weird Weaver has been going on for hundreds of years, but it's getting worse exponentially. The longer the characters wait, the worse it could get. That's probably something we can reinforce. Twisting of the Weird Weaver and the ley lines of the area have torn open rifts to other lands in the other worlds. That's how the Dust Goblins got here, and that's what's opened the portals to the pools to the east. They did not learn that. Trollkin feared the creatures in the tunnels to the east. Their own scouting parties have never returned. Now we'll keep that. Most of the scouting parties were killed and eaten by clacker beetles. Somehow are mutated into tro- tumor trolls. And wander still. A design is carved into the carved into it. What a design is carved into it, showing a family crest above three cross weapons. A dwarven mate character succeeds. Symbol is the Holzinger family. I don't know why that where that came from, but we don't need that. Thor's hammer is part of a set that includes Thor's gauntlets, yarn yarn gripper. Those seem to be missing from Thor's vault. So I was going to put the hammer in the other vault, but I think we're going to save those for the other set. But I like that Thor's gauntlets are called yarn yarn gripper. Factions of Dara war with one another on the lower levels. Some of the creatures tied to the third icosahedron are as old as the citadel itself, and more to the debased. Disciple of Gellert travels among the levels of the Scarlet Citadel, serving Gellert the Gruesome's needs and liaisoning with the inhabitants of the other levels. And where the base uses the power of the third Icosahedron to summon all sorts of horrible entities from other worlds, which now roam in the lower reaches. Each of these creatures must be destroyed to seal the third Icosahedron. There's a tributary to the Black Bear. These are all really good. I'm going to steal almost all of these, and we're going to move them over to my other notes, and then I'm going to carve through them and make sure that they all still make sense. But I had already prepped a lot of notes, and then they never, they never got even close. So we can save a lot of time by just copying those over. Strange twisting of the Weird River has been going on for hundreds of years, but getting worse exponentially. Yeah, that, that, yeah. The twisting of the Weird River and the ley lines, they are torn open rifts. They want to know that. Troll can fear the creatures of the East. Most of the scouting parties are killed and eaten by clacker beetles. If I click Tumor Troll, where, where, where that, that goes to trash. So we're gonna we're gonna skip that one, and we're gonna Tumor Troll in Mike's monster database. Bang! So now if I click that, I get a Tumor Tumor Troll. Yay! With a stat block, not mutated into Tumor Troll and wandered and wander still. A design is carved into it. I don't know what this one is. We're gonna delete that one. Thor's hammer is part of a set that includes Thor's gauntlets, yarn gripper. These seem to be missing from Thor's from Thor's vault. I don't need the Thor's vault part. Factions of Darrow war with one another in the lower levels. Some of the creatures tied to the third Echosedron. These are good. Immortal the Debased, yes. Immortal the Debased is working with the Echosedron, yes. Tributary to the Black River is traveling through, I can't spell the word through, through the eastern part of the Clacking Caverns. Yep, the third Echosedron, the Weird River, resides in a chamber on the fifth level of the Scarlet Citadel off in the Black River. The four icosahedron, the fourth icosahedron re- re- resides in the lowest depths of the Scarlet Citadel. Gellert the Gruesome himself draws energy from the most powerful and most destructive icosahedron, the Weird Weaver. The Weird Weaver isn't a god or a primordial or anything like that. These are all good, and these are more than ten. So I'm good on secrets. I don't really need to come up with anything else because we've already sort of been planning this session now. I, I've already been thinking about it since the last time, and then I didn't do any prep last time for it, but I've already got a lot. Fantastic locations I don't need to worry about because I've got the adventure and we're going to be talking about the adventure. So I'm actually going to just wipe that that section. I forget, was it a patron question? or did, I think it was on Discord, on the Sly Flourish Discord server, which you can get access to by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. You can, somebody was asking about like, well, you know, they, they, they were following the steps and saying, when I'm running a published adventure, what do I do with some of these steps? And I always have to remind people that the steps are, you don't have to use all of them. That you can definitely only, you only need to use the steps that help you run the game. You're not there to please me and you're not there to please the community of lazy dungeon masters. You're there to serve yourself and what you need in order to run your game to make, to have fun with your friends. Anything and everything can be on or off the table to support that. 
And the eight steps are a nice framework, but they are not universal. And I actually have an article on Sly Flourish where I talk about like which steps to use for which things, which ones make sense. Let's see if I can. I think it's called choosing the right steps from the checklist. And I talk about, you know, you got the eight steps, but then there's different kinds of adventures that you run. Different kinds of campaigns you run can determine which steps you want. So I have like the continuous homebrew campaign, which is what most DMs are running. And in that one, you generally want to go through the eight steps because you need all of those things. Nobody's got, you don't, you don't have those, you're not getting those steps from somewhere. So you, that's really, the eight steps really fit the continuous homebrew. If you're running a continuous home published adventure, there are definitely times where you don't need to prep stuff. So the steps you probably, you, so in particular, we can often skip the following steps. You can skip scenes because they're, they're already in the adventure. You can skip fantastic locations because you're using locations in the book. You can ex skip important NPCs because the adventure often describes them, but sometimes you still need them. Monsters, again, they're often in the book and magic items. So you can skip five of the eight steps sometimes. You see me though, and I'm still doing a lot of those steps because I change things from the adventure. So I often think it's still useful to list your important NPCs. Sometimes it's useful to list the locations if, you're, if you need to remember them. Like for Empire of the Ghouls, it's more important that I do the fantastic locations since for Scarlet Citadel. Scarlet Citadel is very micro-focused adventure about these, this one big dungeon and the things going on in the dungeon. Empire of the Ghouls is all over the place. It's a huge, wide-spanning adventure. So having fantastic locations for an adventure like Empire of the Ghouls is more important than having fantastic locations for one like Scarlet Citadel. So it really depends what you need. But you can still, reviewing the characters is still almost always useful. Creating a strong start, almost always useful. Defining secrets and clues, almost always useful. So this is a nice article where it, it, it talks about like which are the things that you really want to be focused on when you're, when you're running it. But the reality is I don't need fantastic locations for my Scarlet Citadel game because they're in the book. They're, they're, they're already set. Now, NPCs, though, even though I'm running a published adventure, it is handy to remind myself who the NPCs are that are around the characters and that are doing things. For example, Las Vascalag is definitely a NPC I want to remind myself is around. Rinyar is another NPC. What's her name? Amorda is another NPC. So you want to keep track of like the NPCs who are kind of moving in and out of the story. It's handy to have those NPCs to have those NPCs around. And then you could also say like, are there NPCs that are going to show up in other places? Like who, who could be, so like a, a fun one might be, what if there is a scout? I don't think this is in the book and I'm going to just make it up. What if there is a scout of the Trollkin who's still alive in there? Like that might be kind of fun. Who's been hiding out and still alive, kind of lurking around, being worried about the things that are going on there and, and afraid to come back. And so we're going to create a new NPC. The Lazy DM Generator, by the way, is my custom built random generator available to patrons of Slyflourish. You want to be, you want to access the generator, you can do so by becoming a patron of Slyflourish. And we're going to pick Midgard. Ooh, McKenna, Bullcloak. Who's a follower? I kind of like this. A follower of Loki. That would kind of be fun. Greedy Trollkin of Loki. That's, it's funny to fix because the Loki, the Loki connection is there. And maybe it's Loki who's been helping McKinney. I think that could be a good time. So it's, this is another one when you're in a big dungeon, always have like one NPC, a friendly NPC the characters can interact with. I think it really helps. And even in the darkest and dismal places, finding an NPC for the characters to talk to like a new NPC that the characters can talk to, I think is always a handy, a handy thing to, to, to do, a handy thing to have. Monsters. So I, before the show, before I started recording, I was talking about a new 
tool that I have called the 5e artisanal monster database. I, this is something I have been working on now for a few weeks. I did a lot of work on it over the past few days, like late last week up through even yesterday. I spent most of the day on it yesterday. And I'm going to show a little bit off of it now. It's still under construction. I'm still working on it. I'm still figuring things out, but it is handy. It is handling a lot of this stuff. But let's start with our Deadly Encounter benchmark. The Deadly Encounter benchmark is just a way to tell you in any encounter, are you in the red? Is it possible that you are going to kill all the characters off with your with whatever improvised encounter you have? What's the line where that is? I have three characters. They are fifth level, so that's 15. So a CR of seven or above, a total combined challenge rating of seven or above is potentially lethal. Good thing to keep in mind. Now, so let's talk about monsters. Let's look at what the book says. We're mostly looking at the cackling chasm. I'm sorry, the clacking caverns. Never going to get it right. Cackling chasm is from Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. There are a few threats in here. We have, I know we have the clacker, the clacker beetles. Two different kinds of clacker beetles are in there. There's a giant octopus that comes out. That could be fun. There's another Clockwork Myrmidon. I'm kind of tired of them fighting the Clockwork Myrmidon. I guess it's okay. They could fight another Clockwork Myrmidon. There is an Air Elemental. More a Warlock White. That could be cool. Gargantopus. That's cool. More Clacker Beetles. And that's that level. So I'm really hoping the characters stay focused on this level. If they don't, I can probably improvise and move. But generally speaking, I'm going to be focused on this half of this level, which I think is here. Do I have a, let's look at the map for it. Make sure I've got that ready. I do. Oh, it's weird that it's like sideways from the map. That's, that's going to be fun. It's, it's, it's turned 90 degrees from the map. But if I do my little fog of war and I do my rectangle and we're cutting the fog, I can go, nope, that's not working. Enable. There we go. So that's where the characters will start is that little area. And the tomb, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to move the Loki. So this is that like moving MacGuffins. Here's another. You ready for another tip? Here's another tip. The movable MacGuffin. So a MacGuffin taken from the old Alfred Hitchcock movies is an object that really doesn't serve much of a purpose on its own, but is a main sort of focal point of a story. We can think of it this way as the crown of Loki is the, the MacGuffin. It's the item the characters need to go get in order to complete the quest to get full access to this thing. And it's something that like sometimes players just want a drive and a motivation. So even though the drive and the motivation isn't super strong, like why are we getting this crown for the stupid king? It's like, oh, well, that's our job. Get the crown for the stupid king. Now, much like we can change up the number of monsters and the type of monsters that the characters face in any given combat encounter in order to support the beats of the game to make sure that the pacing and the beats of the game are fun, we can also move the MacGuffin around. We can decide this adventure has taken long enough. We're all bored. The next room has the MacGuffin, right? We could also say, oh, they're still enjoying exploring. Things are fun. I want them to see more of this place. So instead of them making a beeline for the one place where they get it, could be in any of these tombs. And I get to pick which one. And I get to pick which one based on the pacing of the game. I don't have to decide it's in one, one, one tomb or the other. I can move it around. So the movable MacGuffin 
is a is a handy tool. The trick is you don't necessarily want the players to know that you're moving the MacGuffin around or that they, the MacGuffin isn't there. So instead, of, you're not really moving it because you never placed it in the first place. You're just deciding the MacGuffin is wherever it needs to be in order for the story and the pacing of the game to be fun. This can drive some GMs bananas. It can also drive players bananas if they feel like you're just moving things around. You're doing, you know, it's not real. And it's true, but it's not real anyway. And like lots of things are fuzzy. And why, instead of having you and your players slogging through and they're not finding and they're not finding and they're not finding it and they're bored you just say you, f- you find it right in the same way that it's okay to lower monster hit points and let the next attack kill them I don't tell anybody but I did it last night we're like we're ready right we're ready to move on and that's how that's a very very powerful tool for pacing and beats which I think are critical you know critical factors pacing and beats are critical factors in running a good game and we want all of the tools at our disposal to to keep track of to keep to keep moving on the on the on the the, the pacing and the beats of game pacing is essentially like how fast things are moving are things moving fast is it time to move on just making sure that the energy is in, headed in the right direction and then beats are about upward and downward beats the feeling of really good things happen really bad things happen really good things happen really bad things happen and an example is like finding one npc who's going to give you helpful information is an upward beat facing two tumor trolls that are going to kick the crap out of you that's a downward beat so you you know having a finding a trap and this is where you like you need to improvise you need to be prepared to improvise your upward and downward beats you can't plan them very well ahead of time you need to be ready to change them because Finding a trap and disabling it without going off is an upward beat. Stepping on a trap and having it go off is a downward beat, which means you don't know which ones are going to be upward and downward beats. Some battles might go really easily. Some battles might be really hard. Those are upward and downward beats. And you want to be prepared to say, okay, they've now had a few upward beats. It's time for something really hard. Then, or the other, the alternative is they've had a, they've been having a really hard time. It's been a real slog. Let's go with an easy beat. So something, they discover something. Oh, they found, they found a place, a safe place to take a safe rest, right? They, they can take a long rest, safe place for a long rest. That's a really good up, downward beat. They found a fountain they could drink from and get the equivalent of a long rest. Well, you had to take one. That's a really good upward beat. So that idea of changing and shifting things that are going on in the adventure in order to support pacing and beats I think are are a really are a really good thing. Rangdo of Arg says, is this a variant of the rope argument? I think it's two separate things. The difference in the rope argument is the rope is already in the world by the time the characters see it. And by the time they see the rope, they know it's a rope and they already know what they should be able to do with a rope. And if they say, I want to climb the rope to get off the cliff and you say, that'll be a DC 22 check. And they're like 22, it's a rope, right? Like when I was a first level, it was only 10. I'm like, why is it 22 now? Well, because you're level 16. You know, and your and your the the rope is there. So, you know, oh, was that fishing for? Were you fishing for bingo, big game bingo fishing? Yeah, mm, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Now you have to get the rope argument to come up naturally some other way. But yeah, the argument is it's not a it's not the same as the rope because the rope exists in the world already, and the things we're talking about here don't yet exist. Like if you look at my little map in the lower right corner, the map in the lower right corner, only that hallway is visible. The whole rest of it's not visible which means anything that's going on in there hasn't happened yet. The minute it opens up, the minute there is a tumor troll and the minute the characters see a tumor troll, we know we're in a bad, now those tumor trolls are real, right? They, they exist. So yeah, dorking with DCs of things just to, just to challenge characters is different 
than changing the beats and the pacing of the game by by manipulating other aspects of it. So yeah, but that sounds like it was fishing for you were fishing for bingo. That's pretty funny. So monsters. So we're gonna look at monsters. Anyway, one of the things we have is the new lazy, uh, new not lazy, the five e artisanal monster database, and we're gonna. I have a copy of it here. So let me let me let me describe this relatively quickly. We'll try. First of all, this is an experimental feature. This is an experimental thing I'm working with. I've spent a lot of time. This is an experimental feature, and it is a separate a separate tool on Notion that you can add to your own Notion, your own Notion account called the 5e Artisanal Monster Database and Combat Tracker. It is separate from the lazy GM, the lazy RPG campaign planning template for Notion because it's so big that if you try to duplicate this, it takes like two to five minutes to duplicate. And I didn't want to slow down the other one if you don't necessarily want this. So it's now a separate, it's now a separate tool. And the, the way this works, and we're going to start kind of at the bottom there is a big database of monsters in here and you can search this database for any kind of monster like tumor troll. We'll look at trolls. We need to look at all monsters. We look down here through trolls and there he is, the good old tumor troll, CR6 from Toma Beast 3. We can open that up and we actually have the full stat block for the tumor troll in here. This is all from their OGL released monsters. This is all this is all legitimate and we can see that we have the whole stat block in then any, any, you know, we have all these other kinds of trolls that we want. If we want to filter by a particular source and say, we only want trolls from the Cobalt Press books, for example, you can pick the four Cobalt Press books and see just the trolls that are appearing in the Cobalt Press books. So you can, you can limit it to just those. It includes Creature Codex, Tome Beast 1, 2, and 3, all the, all the monsters from all those. And we see a bunch of Trollkins, a bunch of other trolls, Lake Trolls, Tumor Trolls, Desert Trolls, Rattleback Trolls, Vine Troll Skeleton. Ooh, that sounds weird. And we have, the, so, so what you can do with these is when you find a, a monster that you like, you'll see me do this in my Scarlet Citadel one, you can add it to your holding pattern. The holding pattern is a view of the database that is linked to holding pattern. So any monster that has a link to holding pattern, it shows up in this view. An example is if we were going to add, we'll do it here just for funsies. We were going to look at that troll, right? And we like the tumor troll. We would duplicate the tumor troll. Ah, ah, I can't get that thing to stop. Ah, this is so irritating. There we go. We duplicate the tumor troll. This will be our copy. And then in the tumor troll copy under encounter, we add holding pattern. And now when we go up to holding pattern, we see the tumor troll is there. The holding pattern is where we stash our monsters that we think we might use in our game. They're not necessarily part of anything yet. They're just sort of ready to go. When we're ready to add it to an encounter, we go to the holding pattern one and we add it to an encounter. In this case, the name of the encounter is Darkhool. So we add it to Darkhool. And you see that the tumor troll showed up in our encounter. And then we can duplicate the record here. If we say there's two of them, we have two tumor trolls in our encounter ready to go with the initiative rolls, armor class, damage, everything that we need to track it in combat. So that is the combat tracker, the holding pattern, and the artisanal monster database. It is in one page. You can find a link to this in the show notes. I will, I will link to it there. Experimental. I'm still screwing with it. I'm still learning things about it. I, I learned something today. You can actually drag a monster from one view to the other. That's kind of really interesting. But what I did is I essentially made a bunch of, so I have my own copy of the artisanal monster database called Mike's monster database and combat tracker. That's my own personal copy because I don't want to screw with the one that you guys would copy. I want to screw only with my own. So I have my own copy that I use for all my campaigns. And then in, in the Scarlet Citadel notebook, I have Scarlet Citadel encounters. 
which I made. And the Scarlet Citadel Encounters is a, is a page dedicated to my Scarlet Citadel game that has a combat tracker, a holding pattern, and a view of the monster database, right? This is the view. So it's not a full copy of it, it's just a view of it. But what I can do in here is say troll. And where is that good old tumor troll? There he is. We're gonna duplicate it. And we're gonna put an SC to mark that it is the one I'm using for Scarlet Citadel. And encounter, we're gonna put it in the Scarlet Citadel holding pattern, SC holding pattern. That way I can have different holding patterns for different campaigns. And in my holding pattern right here, I have Tumor Troll, I have the Carrion Beetles, I have the Clacker Swarms. And I've already added some of these in here, but I really don't know that I want these many yet. So I'm gonna delete those. And we're gonna remove them from, we're gonna remove them from Scarlet Citadel, which is the encounter. Because I don't know which ones I need yet. So my holding pattern, I only need, I've got the soldier, the swarm, the carrion beetle. What else, what else, what other monsters were there? The white I think was there. They have a mask white. So they had a, there's the vampire warlock. They, 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 they mentioned like a warlock white. I don't have a good warlock. I thought they mentioned, oh, the, gargant, the gargantopus. That's hard to say. There's the gargant, gargantopus. We'll duplicate that. And let's see. We have a giant octopus. We're gonna duplicate that. Because I think that was in there too. And, and so here's the cool bit is I can select these guys and I can drag them right into my holding pattern. And it 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 didn't it didn't delete them from the database, but it added the tags to put them into my holding pattern, which is really neat. What other monsters were there? Giant octopus, clockwork beetles, the clockwork myrmidon. The clockwork myrmidon. So why do we duplicate it? It's important to duplicate a copy because you're going to be screwing with it, changing its name, up updating its hit points and stuff like that directly from, from the encounter builder. So if you don't duplicate it, you're going to be screwing with your main records and you don't want to screw with your main, you don't want to screw with your main, with your main records. That, that, that hoses everything up. Air Elemental is another one. That one's easy. You'll notice I'm using the A5E Monstrous Menagerie versions because I like them. I like them better. So I'm now that I have it's is easy for me to use. It's as easy for me to use the ones from A5E as it is to use the ones from the SRD. So why not use the A5E ones? Because I like them. I like them better. And that's part of the that's the artisanal thing. The artisanal thing is these are all OGL. They're all OGL released by Cobalt Press, by N-World, and they're all independently produced. Like Cobalt Press and N-World are the ones that publish these monsters. So the five, I'm using the more, the 5e SRD is in there, but I like to use the, the, the actual artisanal. That's why it's called the artisanal database. It's like you went to your local farm swap and picked up some tumor trolls. Yeah, but they warlock whites. So they're in the appendix. Okay, well, we'll show how to make a new monster. Okay, so in the appendix are monsters and we have warlock whites. Not handy that they are so you know what i so the the so they're built the old style where they're all kind of focused on their own spells which i'm not crazy about and i want to see if there are are there warlocks we, we want to explore the menagerie a little bit so we're going to go to our monster database here we're going to filter to the menagerie and we are going to look for, do we have type? We're gonna do type, we're gonna start with undead. And we're gonna just look through the undead here and see, are there any spell casting undead that we have in here? I don't see any. There's a vampire mage, that's too high CR. So I don't see any good spell casting undead in the menagerie. So instead we'll go to type humanoid 
and we will take a look through the humanoids here and look for spellcasters. This is the apprentice mage, but that's pretty low. We're gonna do a CR, where's the, a CR that's greater than two. And we still have humanoids. So we have dragon cultists, we have kobold sorcerers, looking for good spellcaster types. We have an alchemist. Not, so they don't really have, they don't really have much going on here. So you know what? Let's do something even, let's do something, let's do something different. I am going to make a new monster and we are going to use, so this is my warlock white and I'm gonna create a new source. Where's the source? Instead of the menagerie, we're gonna say forge of foes. And we are gonna create a warlock white. So we're gonna open this up and I need my forge of foes preview. Forge of Foes, a Kickstarter that is going on right now. It's going to take me longer to find the PDF than it is to make a monster. Forge of Foes, a Kickstarter going on right now. You can join. You can pick up this book. We have a 30-page preview. I'm going to use the preview right now, and we're going to build a monster right now. Very simple. So Warlock White, we're going to say CR4. All right, CR4 makes sense. So CR4, AC14, 85 hit points. So let's go over here. And we are going to say AC 14 hit points. Where are the hit points? Hit points 85. It has its initiative. Probably we're going to go with the good old generic plus two. So two and 12. It is not legendary, and we don't need any of the other bits for that. Encounter, we're going to put it in the Scarlet Citadel holding pattern. And stat wise, we have its what do we need? So it is AC. 14, hit points 85, we need that. And the base statistics for it, we said CR4, plus six is its proficient bonus, proficiency bonus, does a maximum of 29 damage around, two attacks at 15 damage each. So plus seven to, plus seven proficiency, and 29 max, two times 15 for damage. That's pretty much all you need, right? I'm, that's, that's enough of a stat block for me to be able to run it. But what I am gonna do is we're gonna, so that, that right there is enough. I, that tells me what its primary attack bonus is. Its AC is also its DC, right? So AC is 14, but we're gonna do DC is also 14. AC slash DC is 14, 85 hit points. It's plus seven on anything it's proficient on. That would include any proficient skills, proficient saving throws, or its attack bonus. We already we already have that set. It's actually pretty tough. It's CR, CR four is gonna be pretty tough. CR is four, not two. So probably not gonna face a lot of these guys because they're pretty dangerous. Two of them would be pretty deadly to three fifth level characters. But then we're gonna look down through some of these things. And we have these monster type templates. And we're gonna go to, so we could either pick aberration by saying it's a, warlock white of like the great old one and give it this sort of grasping tentacles, deep speech kind of stuff. The domination gaze. I like the grasping ten tentacles. When this creature hits with an attack, they, they spread a tentacle that grasps the target. In addition to the attack's normal effects, the target is grappled. That's pretty cool, right? So we might grab that and throw that on my warlock. And now we've got sort of a, we have sort of a, a great old one warlock. Can never go wrong with tentacles. But let's look at undead too, because it is undead. And the undead, we have undead resilience. If damage reduces a creature to zero, they must make a con saving throw. So that's like what you would have with a 
Uh, stench of death. Any creature who starts their turn within 10 feet of this creature must succeed on a con saving throw or become poisoned at the start of the next turn. On a successful saving throw, the creature is immune to this type of effect. That's pretty good. So we're going to grab stench and we're going to put stench of death on them too. I don't know which one of those I'm going to pick. Maybe I pick different ones. I could do both, right? If we want to be a really dangerous one. So this might be like a good single boss because 85 hit points is a lot. AC 14 is not very much. The damage is a lot. And then having two different traits that are not based on their attack. It doesn't affect their attack. And then they have these other conditions and stuff too. So we're going to grab those and put that in here. And we've got ourselves very quickly. I'm talking through it took longer than actually making it. We've got ourselves a Warlock White. And it's very easy to run. Very, very easy to run. Very straightforward. Very effective. And that was all using the stuff directly from, from Forge of Foes. So now let's go back to our Scarlet Citadel. And we, if we go to our Scarlet Citadel encounters, we see that in the holding pattern, I've got all the monsters I want. When I'm ready to run these monsters, I can actually take the characters out. So I know Mez, Garble, and who else isn't there? And Bart, Mez, Garble, and Bart are not there. So we will just pop them out of here. Mez, Garble, and Bart, bang. So now when I'm, when I'm ready to run an encounter, I can just grab the Warlock White Let's see. I can grab the Warlock White, drop him into the encounter. And then when I'm ready, they roll their initiative, sort by descending, and we have, we, we're ready to go. But I don't want to do that yet. So I'm going to remove that tag. Now, the other cool thing I can do is if I want to just keep my notes handy, and I might actually add this to the default, is that down here, I can do a table view, and we can do Mike's Monster Database. And we are going to remove, delete the sorts, delete that filter, delete this, delete this. And we are going to add a filter for enc encounter. And we're going to say holding pattern. And we're going to change the view to a list. And we are going to remove just for, make it just clean it up a little bit and save. And now we have in our notes is a list of those monsters that I have put in the holding pattern. So now if I'm like just going through my notes and I just want to pull up a stat block, I can hit the giant octopus and I can bring the giant octopus and I've got the giant octopus stat block. If I want to bring up my brand new uh, warlock white that I just pulled up, I can bring up the warlock white and I've got the stats for the warlock white that I just created ready to go. Magic magic stuff. So I think we're ready to go. I think that is it for today. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me. I hope you guys enjoyed me poking through it. I know some weird technical stuff going on today, but I hope that was fun. If you enjoyed this show and you want more stuff like this, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get a free adventure generator PDF plus a weekly RPG related email sent directly to your inbox every week. You can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's Workbook, and the Lazy DM's Companion. And you can join the Sly Flourish Patreon. Patrons get access to all kinds of previews of this kind of stuff, discussions about this kind of stuff, access to the Sly Flourish Discord server, access to Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, City of Arches Sourcebook, all that kind of stuff. There are now two different Patreon tiers, the Veteran tier and the, the Heroic tier, the Hero tier. The Hero tier is if you want to give a little bit more, if you really think the things that you're finding, if you're finding good value from the things I'm providing, it is a great way to support the work that I do to be, be a hero of Sly Flourish. You get a special color for your name inside the Sly Flourish. Discord server. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.